The wisdom of experts can change your life. As a co-chair at the University of Texas, you've attained this elite status from growing and evolving over the course of your coaching career. In our Learning from Experts podcast, exclusively for the head coaches here at the University of Texas, we're going to accelerate that process. You'll hear from world-class coaches, sports psychologists, and successful people. And occasionally, it's the wisdom that impacts other areas of your life, like your health or your marriage. But here's something really important to appreciate. Timing. Hearing something at exactly the right time makes all the difference. Sometimes it's repetition. Hearing a concept multiple times until it resonates with you. So buckle up. This week's Learning from the Experts is about to begin. Hey coaches, John Mitchell here. Boy, life is good, isn't it? Well, this week we're hearing from our fearless leader, Crystal Conte, the athletic director here at the University of Texas. This is his annual address to our coaches in our Learning from Experts program. And Chris conveys a very powerful message. Hear how he focuses on listening, listening, and I know this is something I need to improve on, and hey, you may feel the same way. Also listen for how he intentionally interacts with coaches and specifically what he looks for. You also find it interesting, the simplicity of how to create success in one's life. It comes down to one word that starts with a D. And here's the essence of what you'll learn this week. Seek to understand before trying to be understood. That's the powerful lesson CDC has given us. Let's slow down and really grasp that. So let's get started and listen to the wisdom of CDC. And remember, hey, as a coach here at the University of Texas, you're living the dream. Chris, you are the man. So thanks for joining us today on our Learning from Experts podcast. Good to be here. So, you know, let's, let's talk about our football team. Everybody's talking about our football team. But, uh, you know, it's so interesting to watch this three-year journey with Sark. What's your take on it? Um, Sark is who he says he was when we first met him. It's who he says he was when I watched him from afar at Washington and as a young coach at USC. He has a plan. The moment is not too big. Um, he's, he's just everything that I thought he was from afar. He's even better while he's in, uh, uh, getting around him now. So excited about, it. but he came in with the plan, knew the plan was going to, well, how long it was going to take. We're nowhere near from a finished product. He will tell you the same thing, but, uh, everything he's brought to the table, um, culturally, not only for the football program, but within our athletic program, um, I can tell you that the success that we're having across the board is because of our great coaches, but it's a large part as him as well as in terms of him infusing who he is within our entire athletic program. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's, it seems like it's right on, on schedule because this is his third year. You know, the first year was the COVID year. You could sort of throw that in the trash bin then the second year was last year and had a decent year, certainly better than the prior year. And now it looks like, you know, basically he's got all of his own players and right on schedule, right? Well, I don't know think about it. Every year is completely different. I think his first year he took over a roster with 54 guys on scholarship. 
right. from civil unrest and COVID and who transferred in or out. And that was, I think, a lot harder to gauge the culture of the department. Last year, we lost five games, but I think by a total of seven or eight, ten points. Yeah. So you can just see it. Uh, uh, every single, it's just building blocks. Uh, um, you know, it's, uh, it, and it's just the way it is. It's not, this year won't define who he is or us. We're off to a really, really good start. But at the end of the day, he will tell you that uh, taking 125 men and having them row in one direction when they've been rudderless for a while, and then you start to see it. You just start to see last year what was taking place and uh, and how it's taking place this year. It's, it's credit to him, credit to his coaching staff and his entire organization. So, Chris, you'll find this interesting. Last week, I met presidential candidate Nikki Haley. She was in Austin for a private event. And she has this amazing calmness and presence. She reminds me so much of Coach Sark. They're clear about who they are, what they want to do. They can articulate it. And, and I personally think that is one of his strongest attributes because there's no doubt about who he is and his transparency and his vulnerability. It's just impressive. And, and so you can see why he's having success today. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, this idea of how important the quarterback is in college football today. And I was talking to Doug English, and he says, you know, about 80% of uh, success in college football comes down to the quarterback. Do you think it's, that's true, or what's your take on all that? Um, you can go back and look at this, whether it be the quarterback, the setter, the point guard, uh, the coxswain in a rowboat. Everyone has a leader within their organization. The mid, you know, uh, uh, who Angie look at is it a midfielder, is a, a center back, whoever that they all have. They all have someone that they're integral part of distributing that ball to the entire team. Mm-hmm. That makes when you have a really great one, you can do an amazing things. Uh, uh, across the board, and no different in football with the quarterback. I, I think when you have a mature quarterback that uh, is now the, the game slows down in front of them, they see what is taking place, um, good things can happen. And, and, and you were doing a great job. It's nowhere near a finished product that Steve would like, uh, all of his people to be. But uh, across the board, all of our coaches have that one position that will dictate uh, uh, how great our teams will be. And in football, it's, it's the quarterback. Right. Right. Yeah, I uh, I think you're probably right. You know, it it it's obvious that the, that the margin of of winning is so small. Though, if you have a great quarterback versus just a good quarterback, uh, that that makes such a difference, don't you think? Um, I, I think like in anything else, you, you'll you'll see that a great quarterback. Uh, if, you can have the you can have a Joe Montana, but if you don't have an offensive line. It's, he's average to go. Yeah, yeah, I get so that. The, the some of the parts are, are, are what make it great all the way across the board. You have a great offensive line, great wide receivers, great running back. Those all work. But if everything's clicking, the quarterback is the one that is, 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 is the, you know, the, the engine that makes it go. But you got to have tires on that car. you got to have a steering wheel. you got to have everything around it for it to be a running car. So uh, all, it's, all, it's all part and parcel for the team. Right, right. So, Chris, what do you think about Deion Sanders? He's the talk of sports today. What, what do you think about the impact he's having on college football? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's great. Good for, good for Colorado. Um, you know, he's coming in there with a, with a different way of doing things, um, infusing his energy and his ethos in that program. And uh, 
you know, it's good. Is he is he sort of turning uh, college football into uh, the NFL in a way? No, not whatsoever. I think if you look at Texas State, took 55 transfers as well. It just happens to be the location he's at and his personality. But, you know, Texas State took a significant amount of transfers. Um, a, lot of, a lot of programs, Florida State did, South Carolina did. Just look at across the board. It's just that he's accentuated by uh, uh, how he went about and did it. Did it, and it was very public uh, in his in, in his statements and the whole thing. But it's not uh, wouldn't sit there and say he's it's novel by any stretch. Right, right. You know, I think his personality obviously is is a big part of this. And and I was reading uh, something he said just in the paper this morning. He says, "If you look good, you feel good." If you feel good, you play good. And if you play good, they pay good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty pretty strong statement. And and but it's that type of personality that he has that that can uh, energize his, his athletes. Well, he said that uh years ago when he came when he was playing it when he was getting drafted bad from Florida State to the Atlanta Falcons. Right, right. And it was about a position, the cornerback that was undervalued. It was not being paid accordingly, and, and uh, he made that position what it is today. Uh, a shutdown corner became very valuable, and the economics followed suit. So right. um, his bravado has not changed from, as he said, he was in Little League to who he is today. And the great thing about it is he's authentic to himself. And no one can replicate him, and no one can replicate Steve, and no one can replicate Jared Elliott or Vic Schaefer or uh, in Howard Joffe, we have great coaches here. They're authentic to themselves, which which would make them great. And and yeah. what he's doing for himself and, and his team, and that works great. Right, right. So in dealing with your coaches, uh, you know, um, talk about how your approach to dealing with them. I know, I know, you want to challenge their thinking sometimes, right? Well, I think all the time you have to challenge their thinking. They challenge my thinking. I mean, right. we're here because of our great coaches and the student athletes they recruit. It's not the other way around. They're the enterprise, and they're constantly going to challenge our thinking of how to do things differently. And our job is to give them our opinion. Um, it's like a, if a coach said, hey, I, I want my strength coach to do no strength training but just stay in a closet all day. I would tell that strength coach, have him stay in a closet all day. But as you as a strength coach, he used to go and tell them why the benefits of lifting weights will help their program. Right. Right. Same with me. They will always have great ideas about what they want or know uh, for their program. And our job is, okay. have you thought of this or here's what's happening or here are the constraints and limitations we have in this particular area and discuss them. But you always want to challenge each other. That's how you get better. Right. You know, last year you mentioned that that coaches have a tendency to uh, to uh, be influenced by the last person they talk to. I guess we're all that way. But talk about that a little. Well, I think the issue was is whoever gets to someone doesn't make a difference. It's a co- it could be a president, it could be a CEO. Whoever that last conversation is always going to be top of mind when you're dealing with an issue, especially if it's that particular issue. Right. So you want to unbuckle where, where the, what what was the first conversation to the last conversation to get a better understanding of the situation. So it's necessary, and I do the same thing. If someone comes in and we're talking about the lights or something. And someone comes in and the last person I, I heard was this, I may or may not remember the entire nine other conversations ahead of time. Yeah. So the issue is just making sure you have the patience to unpack the entire conversation to understand where this is coming from. 
Right, right. Well, that certainly makes sense. You know, one thing I'm, I'm sort of curious about is, you know, a lot of athletes and people in general have this negative inner voice. And uh, I just uh, gave our coaches an interview with John Gordon and Michael Gervais, which was great, talking about mindset. What do you think about that? How do, how do coaches help their athletes overcome that negative inner voice? You know, I think that's what, uh, this is what this, this series is all about, is always giving coaches different tendencies or different views to hear things, because everyone's going to have an inner voice. Right. When, when things go wrong or right, I think one of the things I love about uh, Steve talking about this past weekend's game is we were going to stick with our process of what we do and take what they gave us and not panic. Right. But you can see throughout a game, there's stress levels that come whether it be the fans, whether it be the bench, whether it be people around you, it could be an assistant coach talking to you on the headset or, or sitting next to you in the chair saying this and this. You have to have uh, enough common experience. And comes with this is experience. When you were, when I was younger, that negative voice took over right away. Now it's like, okay, time out. Let's, let's cut through the What is it? And stay within the moment of what is taking place and not necessarily what you're hearing. Right. And that just comes from experience. If you talk to uh, Eddie Reese, talked to our head coaches the other day and talked about lifting weights and the wanting and the need to make sure that we're giving our co- our student athletes a healthy break so they can let their muscles uh, 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 go from fatigue to, bre- to to a rest state to get ready to play and not just lift weights all, all day long or run all day long and expecting different results on Saturday. Right. So age and experience allow you to live within that moment and not let the negative voice uh, overrule you. So during your illustrious track career, did did you have a negative inner voice? Oh, God, constantly. I mean, constantly. You're always battling. And, you know, when it's going great, it's like when you're in a zone, nothing can go wrong. Right. But when you're not in a zone and things go wrong, that you got to be able to overcome that. And there's many times when I was a student athlete, I did not overcome that. Right, right. And it took over what I was trying to do, and it happens. And there's, that's the value of a coach is to say, time out. Trust your training. You're doing the right things. We're going to stick to what we're doing. And when you overcome those breakthroughs is when great things happen. Right, right. So what do you, what do, you do today to impact your mindset on a, on a daily basis? Impact my mindset? Right, right. Huh. Depends on the situation. You know, I mean, you know, it all depends. I mean, when you're, when I go to any game, I'm so nervous for our coaches and student athletes. It's ridiculous. I think I lose a hundred pounds there. Right. you watching because um, you can't do anything about it. Right. Um, right. So it depends on the situation where you're like, okay, we got this. There's times where um, you're not enjoying the moment because you're, you're, you're the nervous energy uh, consumes you. And so I love watching our coaches. Uh, you know, you watch Jared Elliott on the bench, and my man's a one cool, cool cum- cucumber. You don't know if he's hot, cold, or indifferent. And he's seen it all. And he is a level kill. You watch Steve, level kill. You'll see Vic Schaefer has great emotion. But when it's really tight, man, he turns around and he levels that team right out. Right, right. Well, I know, I know last year, you know, you said that in terms of affecting your, your daily mindset, you were reading Bible verses. So you were on a year program. I still do that. That doesn't change. You know, and, keep, and when do you do that? Yeah, in the morning time. I right. get up 
uh, early before I go, I, I usually hit, I hit 5.45, I get up and usually right. have a, a, a morning prayer and then I get to work and then, you know, so make sure this is my greatest day. And when I go home at night, I review the day before I go to bed and uh, live up to what my uh, potential is. Right. And I guess uh, the Bible verses basically center you, right? For sure. I, I think everyone has to have a center, right? Uh, the, now I got a, I got an app on, on my phone, too, and I'll, I'll have a daily prayer. I'll listen to it, um, whatever that may be, and I'll focus on what that, what that, uh, that verse is and what that uh, podcast was about and try to just center my day uh, around that. Right, right. And, and you mentioned last time that you journal, For right? Sure. When do you do that? Well, all times. Could be late at night and I got an idea. Boom, I'll just write it down. Right, right. You know, hey, I got an idea. What does this look like? What does that look like? It's constantly just looking at different ways to uh, maybe something I saw from a Saturday football game. I'll write, oh, I forgot about that. Write it down. Or maybe I know I'm having a conversation with the president tomorrow. Right. Or a budget. And, and I'll be thinking about it all day. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I'll remember something and just write it down. So don't forget to talk about this, this, and this. And it's just yeah. constantly having a, a pen and paper right there that you can either journal and look at it, but it's not necessarily journal writing as in here's what my day was. It's journal writing of things I've been thinking about, and then they, you know there'll be a time pass between them, and I'll remember something and just write it down. Right. Yeah, that's so powerful. Well, you know, it's it's interesting to me. You know, I don't think anybody would disagree with the statement that uh, a person's success in life as well as their enjoyment in life is determined by the quality of the thoughts they have in their head on an ongoing basis. Yet only about 2% of people do anything to impact their mindset in the morning, like like your Bible verses, like, you know, I do something. But it's interesting to me that only 2% of people do anything proactively to impact their, their, their mindset. Do you find that interesting as well? Well, and I, I think coaches do. Yeah. Our coaches here are the very best in the country and they are always driven. You could every single day they're writing something down, they're charting something. Um, they'll come in with pieces of paper that look like a shredded napkin <laughs> I know they've been thinking about things or writing things down constantly. And and it's just, that's what makes them great. And they're always trying to t- figure out, especially when a team is struggling, they're trying to figure out tinkering with different ways to, to get to unlock their potential because each new team is different. Um, so I, I, you can look at every one of our coaches and I, I, I can assure you is writing things down, driven to succeed, understanding that, they're taking 18 and 22 year old kids and trying to make some magic from them. And they're always tinkering with things. And this is when you look at your podcast, part of that is infusing different ways to think about things. Right. Right. You know, I remember, you know, three years ago, you and I embarked on this idea of, of making the university of Texas a gold standard for mental training and conditioning. Um, In terms of the mental side of the game, do you think it's progressing? today or, or what do you think about that uh, you know it's hard to gauge because because what happens is you always graduate kids right then you got to restart all over again right i think i think when you see when you have really successful teams over a long period of time in each athletic program you know it's taking foot yeah 
Right. Culture is being passed from one team, one class to the next. And that's when the really good stuff happens because it's not, it was when it becomes the ethos of that particular program. So you just say back to back director's cups last year, we, we were right in the thick of it to the end. And uh, if a couple of things went our way, we would have won it again. But to see how they respond to that and how they're moving forward this year, that's the great thing about the success, especially of our longstanding coaches have been here for a long, long time. You can just see that the ebb and flows of their programs are always, they're never really, really high, really low. They're just steady eddy on, on, a, on a vertical climb. Then you may have a, a down moment or time throughout the year, but you know they're going to be there at the end. Right. Well, you know, you know, my whole focus is mindset. And, and I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, about three years ago, you and I did a Zoom with Trevor Moad, the mental coach for Nick Saban. And he talked about how he was getting out of mindset in sports because the, the bar in sports was so low that, uh, and his famous quote is, the best they could do at Alabama was get the players not to say stupid shit out loud because what you say out loud has 10 times the impact of what you just think based on a Harvard study. And he says, you know, that became frustrating for him that they couldn't uh, really achieve greater things than that. And so I, I look at, you know, that comment and I see what is happening in sort of the general world in terms of mindset. And, and I think sports has a has a long ways to go, but so our goal again is to make uh, Texas the gold standard, don't you think? Well, I, yeah, that's always the goal across all of our ventures that we operate in. But I, I would look at that particular comment, and that's a reflection of society. Sport is a reflection of society, right? Yeah, you can bring in these great speakers in or into speak to a company, but it's it may, it may it's like drawing it's like writing up a strategic plan. As soon as it's printed, it's outdated. Mm-hmm. What you have to have is what a, the University of Texas, our objective is to win championships and to, and to do it with integrity. Mm-hmm. That is it. Right. And you know, you're asking kids to do something that they may may not grow up with, but they have the skills along the way that when they're mature enough to realize what was taking place, they will use them. And how many times do you say a kid may have played at Alabama and said, boy, that was really a drag, but 10 years from now, it clicked. Mm-hmm. It may not click instantaneously. And that's the beauty of sport. The teaching of our coaches to our kids, they may not understand that right away. But you ask any, any, any kid that goes through a program that is really, really super successful, those, those teachings that they learn are what they'll teach their children. Yeah. And yeah. it comes in with a different maturity level. And, and you have to be able to adapt to that uh, and move forward. It's like Steve will talk about his quarterback room. There's there's all levels of, of, of abilities in that quarterback room right now. And you're going to teach to their level to bring them to the highest level possible. And that's exactly when you're learning how to swim. You don't go to the deep end right away. You work your way in and you get the confidence and all of a sudden, boom, you're back and forth and good things happen. Right, right. Well, you know, one, one of the things that you're a shining example of is, is learning from others. Um, would you talk to our coaches about how, how you grow yourself today? Well, I mean, I, you know, I constantly read. Um, whether it be, it'd be like, you know, if someone's doing something great, we were at Alabama two weeks ago, I saw their in-game and went, boy, R&D, what can we take from them? 
to bring back to our place. And we had a weekend this weekend against uh, uh, um, Wyoming that I felt our team did a really good job of implementing new things. Mm-hmm. So we're always trying to strive to improve. I, I, I think I read all kinds of books, whatever they may be, fiction, nonfiction, constantly just from one, one from an educational standpoint, but two is to constantly learn. And if you're constantly learning and growing within yourself, the next time you have a conversation and it's really a struggle, you can lean on other things you learned or heard to try to work that conversation into seeking to understand where they're coming from. One of the things that we do here really well or society does not do well is listen. We just want to be heard. But if you listen to what they're saying, then all of a sudden you can truly hear what, they, what, what they're feeling. And I learned that a lot through civil unrest. Uh, a lot of our student athletes were hurting, but they were reaching out, wanting to be heard, but, but no one was listening back to what they were saying. And our society was not listening back to what they were saying. If you just take a moment to listen to them, and to anybody, and if you listen to what they're saying and seek to understand, then great things happen. Because then your opinion can, can say, okay, I heard this. Let me tell you what I think. And then work your way through it. But when you're only hearing, when you're only talking above each other, you're never going to really get to the stuff. That's what our coaches really do a really, really good job of seeking to understand and to hear. And that's a sign of a great team. Boy, that, that is profound, Chris. I mean, it's, it's so easy to miss that point of, of the power of listening, isn't it? Uh, Without question, because we all want to, we all have a, 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 we have two ears, one mouth. Right. But, you know, <laughs> we like to hear ourselves think or talk instead of saying, okay, wait a minute, especially if something's wrong or if something's feeling some way and you're like, well, no, this is how it's going to be. No, right. no, no. Look at this. And then how do we adapt? If you're going to get the very best out of somebody, you want to be able to listen to them. And you may not agree with them. Yeah. If you listen to them and say, okay, you seek to understand what they're saying, even if you're disagreeable, that person knew you heard them, may not have agreed with everything they said, but you're able to then say, okay, here's why we're doing this, this, and this. And if they understand it, then at least we've come to a situation where they can appreciate that because their voice is heard. And then the team will be better, especially if you can adapt things that they're feeling and seeing. Two, one of the things that I thought Steve was great this weekend, uh, the press conference goes, guys, two plays are on me. I'd love to take him back right now. I was trying something. I knew I shouldn't have done that. He takes ownership, goes in the locker room and says, guys, my bad on that. I called the wrong play. Here's what I was thinking. I saw it differently. And I knew you guys. And he even said the players looked over, knew it didn't sound right, but they ran it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, that, and I thought that was such a great moment. Uh, I think the guy from the Miami Dolphins does a great job of saying, hey, my bad. Right. Yeah, put you in a bad position. I'm sorry. And the, and, and the kids look because all the eyes go on the athlete. Yeah. Oh, boy, mess that up. When a coach says timeout, I put you in a really bad position. I'm sorry. Here's what I was trying to do. My bad. When they know you have their back that way, it's really, really powerful. Right. Well, it's pure personal responsibility. And, and you know, that's that's what's obvious that's happening in all our programs is that the uh, coaches are teaching those athletes personal responsibility to, to own their results. And if they don't like the results, change their behaviors. And uh, so it's all, all personal 
responsibility. But a coach has to own their personal responsibility too. Yeah, right. Lead by example. You lead by example. You're not always going to have. You're not always going to be right. And that's what 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 I love about how Steve goes about his business. But everywhere, if you make a mistake, just raise your hand. Say, "I made my bad on that." Right. It's in the day and age when no one wants to make uh, a raise their hand and say, "I made a mistake." You know, they they, they love the we love the fact that when someone messes up, we just point fingers. Yeah, yeah. But when you point a finger, there's three point back at you. <laughs> that's a good point. So, so do you read a book a week? Uh, I try about every. Uh, I was for a while, but now, now I'm on. Uh, I just finished Ryan, Hi- Ryan Holiday's Discipline Des- Destiny, mm-hmm. which is interesting because if you're truly disciplined to your craft, destiny's upon you. The hard part is being disciplined. Yeah, it's not yeah. saying you're disciplined. It's actually doing the things that you want to do. And Steve, I remember Steve talking about Nick Saban one day. And he goes, "He's just he is who he is." It's innate to him how he is so disciplined now, how he goes about everything that he does that no one can duplicate. And that's being true to yourself. Steve is really disciplined, but he goes about it differently. Coach Elliott, really disciplined. But when you're disciplined to your craft, it's hard to get there. And, right. and, and, and you have to block out all kinds of noise. I, I listened to a podcast from Kobe Bryant. When when you're maniacal about something, other things will suffer. Yeah. You know, when you're so maniacal, everything around you does not matter except that one thing. But that's how your craft is going to be if you want to be great. Right, right. And what what's the name of the Ryan Holiday book? Uh, uh, it's called Discipline Destiny. Discipline Destiny? D- Discipline is the destiny. Oh, Discipline is the destiny. Yes. And that- yeah, that sounds great. And it's a fabulous book. We gave it to all of our coaches. And the book really just talks about if you are going to be great and to achieve greatness, everyone has to be disciplined and singularly focused on that mission. I looked at uh, Coach Elliott's volleyball team last year. He brought in a collection of great women from all over the country. And they were all proven winners. But, boy, they were absolutely maniacal about the focus of winning a national championship. They went about it. With, with with great zealous and effort, and you saw the end result. I think they were 37, 38, and 1. Right. They were phenomenal. And not every team's that way. But you, I just watched that team and everything everything they did and what he did. And that, and now they're looking at it. They're 5 and 3, got a new young organization, and I'm just watching how he coaches. No different. I go to I, When I go to matches, I just watch our coaches. Yeah. I'll sit there and watch every time out. I'll see how they deal with the kids, what they're talking about, their demeanor. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know that we, every one of their behaviors, on the, on the deck watching Carol, you would never know that uh, she's just steady Eddie. Same with Eddie. They all have a way about them that their kids will feed off. The moment's not too big. Right, right. Yeah, it's that, that discipline you're talking about. Without question. And, and that is the key. But it, and it takes a while. And maturity takes a while. You know what I mean? When you're 18 years old, you're on campus, you lost your damn mind. And it takes <laughs> a while. Okay, here's what it's going to take. And uh, I was walking off the field with Steve this past weekend. There's a couple of guys there that were just, you know, they're eager to play. And he goes, they got to earn in practice. They have to start to learn discipline in their craft in order to get playing time. Yeah. Your discipline in your craft comes, tra- comes trust. Trust comes opportunity. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this past August, uh, I held a couple of uh, masterminds with uh, a group of your coaches. We did it two times, and we set out on Lake Austin, and Ginger served her uh, fabulous lasagna, and it was so interesting just to get them interchanging ideas, and I took your suggestion of, of asking them, how do you handle pressure? How do you handle failure? You know, one of the things that came from it was, you know, I asked each of them, so what did you learn last season and how is that going to change the coming season? And, you know, every one of them was crystal clear about what they learned and how they were going to improve it. But one of the things that came out of it that was interesting that I'd love your take on is they still have some problems with the uh, players and the eyes of Texas and, and embracing that. I thought, we were all past that, but evidently not. What's, what's your take or advice on that? Uh, and I think we're never going to be past civil unrest, nor should we. What makes this country great is we're always going to have striving for perfection. It's the greatest country in the world. But in order for us to be truly great, we also have to embody and embrace everybody and everything that, that their own individuality. And you, you see what's going on in our country today. It's just as polarizing as it was mm. in the 60s. Polarizing in the turn of the century when we had all the immigrants coming in. It's always been this uh, tension. Right. The Constitution are the ideals of what we want to strive for. Those amendments, uh, those 26 amendments, are what we're within that Constitution are the ideal values of what we believe in. And they're always going to constantly be challenged, and that's what makes our country great. I think that with with eyes of Texas and, and and the kids, you're always going to have you still have kids that, that that went through civil unrest on campus, and you know you have to continue to dialogue, continue to have conversations, and don't take offense to conversations that may or may not uh, that you that you may not truly believe in or see. Because it's not me that's seeing it or or, 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 or feeling it's them. So I, I don't think it's an affront to the eyes as much as it is to front what's going on to our country right now. Right. And as I always talk about it, the ideals that we, it's it's like the Bible. So like, the Old Testament's crazy, some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. cow. But then you got the New Testament. But those are ideals that we should live in. The Constitution, what an idealism that they wrote. But we weren't even living it when they first wrote it. We had to add, we had to make amendments to make it perfect. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect today, but that's what you strive for. Right, right. Well, you know, in in asking the coaches about that, you know, some of them, each of them had uh, a different approach to it. Some of them basically ignored it, and some of them sort of hit it head on. Uh, and I guess it's uh, it's such a fluid situation and changes from team to team that there's no magic formula, right? There's no magic formula, and I, I don't think there should be. Right. There shouldn't. Right. What there should be is what, what is what, what conversations are you going to have up with your team? Right. Uh, I'm always looking, hey, guys, Whatever it may be, the, the eyes of Texas uh, was a, was was a tumultuous conversation, but it was really around civil unrest around our country. Yeah, um, and and I thought the, the the work that the committee put forth to realize to really talk about the true identity of the eyes and where the song came from and and the, and the pride that we have uh, uh, for that song is phenomenal. 
yet you may or you may have two or three kids that are saying, yeah, but how about this? And that's okay. It's okay to have the conversation, but we have to understand this is our school song. This is this this is we sing it at every single uh, event that we're at. Win, lose, or draw. We sing it at graduation this past weekend, watching a hundred thousand people sing the eyes of Texas magical. It is. You know, but it's like going to Washington, D.C. and reading the Constitution and walking outside and seeing a riot That's or a protest. That's, right. what, makes, that's what makes this country great. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So let's, let's talk about uh, NIL. So what do you think the future of NIL is? Uh, don't know yet, but I, but I understand why we're here. Um, and, and at the end of the day, every, right, every person has the right to their own name, image, and likeness. Um, but I'm a, but I'm an idealist. I think that free education uh, should be really part of that conversation. You know, when you think about, it, we have 1.2 trillion dollars in student loan debt, mm-hmm. and the federal government's asking to forgive that debt. And I'm like, guys, we educate more people for free. We should at least recognize that effort. Um, right. But 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 nil, if it's truly intended to be for student athletes. And their own individual name is actually that then, then I'm uh, that I understand and I'm all for that. Right. So so I assume that that we're not going to get legislation uh, on this because of this dysfunction in Washington. Is that a fair statement? And that and that the market itself is going to uh, regulate it. I think you'll have a a, 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 a parallel track on both. Right. Right. Well, you know, it just seems like uh, given where we are today in 2023, you're not going to get anything until we get uh, past the presidential elections and and all that. So we're basically talking 2025 at the earliest, right? I I wouldn't say that. You know, there's a lot of people working on it right now. So you never know. Sometimes you think there's no chance and then boom, it happens. Right, right. Well, you know, it's, it's sort of like uh, what's going on with AI and regulating AI. I'm not sure there's a way really to do it, and the market somehow regulates it, right? There's always, there's always a way to, to – you can always look at – there's different cues in AI. I remember when I was in college, you could order papers. And they right. Out there's the same thing. They'll figure things out. Yeah. And AI is a good thing. We're just going to have to adapt to it. But in academia, you got to make sure you're doing the work. Yeah, yeah, right. Right, I hear that. One thing that I think is fascinating is how the big universities like University of Texas and Ohio State are embracing this idea of of making their athletes successful in the real world. Can you talk about where that is today and where that's headed? That's what we're all here for. Our forever Texas program is just to put a kid comes to college to change their academic, to change their economic. trajectory through education and our job is to make sure with our forever texas program that we put them in the very best position to to be successful when they get that degree and uh, only two percent of our kids are going to go pro i don't think they're going to go pro when they get here then you have this aha moment and like every coach is out recruiting the current player on their team the current player on their team's job is to keep their job and continue to improve and the coach's job is go get not only help them improve, but go get better players behind them to keep the engine and, and, and the competition rolling and this quest for success rolling. 
Well, you, you know, the purpose of college is to prepare kids for the real world, but you know, Chris, it doesn't do that. And I say that as a teacher here at University of Texas. When did this become a thing for the athletic departments to embrace that challenge? Was it three or four years ago? No, it was a long time ago when you realized they come here to get a degree and what are we doing to help them be, become successful, whether it be dressed for success, etiquette dinners, resume writing, mentorships, leadership, um, degree, finding an employment. Those are still the fundamental uh, uh, basis of college, of, of universities. We've just took them upon ourselves to help accentuate that. And Chris, I want to thank you for the opportunity you're giving me to extend what Forever Texas is doing to take your great idea of creating a four credit class to teach our athletes how to be successful in the real world and really more specifically how to create the exceptional life rather than the average life by teaching them six high performance skills that were so transformative in my life. And to update you on this, we should have this course approved within the next 30 days or so so we can teach it next year. Well, that's going to be critical for us. That's an off, you know, think about what we're trying to do. You're trying to put yourself in a position where now all of a sudden young people hear from you that's a really, really successful business person. And you're also going to bring other successful business people to class and say, okay, guys, let's look at what we've done. Nothing's greater than listening to someone that's done it. And I will tell you that why you were successful, in my opinion, is when you turn 53, 54, you buckle down on discipline. Right. When you hear your story, discipline was the key to your success. You blocked out all the noise, and you buckled down. You were in your 50s. Right. Think through it. It took you 50 years. And when you realized it, now all of a sudden, you're reaping the benefits threefold. But along the way, you were just boom, boom, boom. And when you hear your story of this and that, all of a sudden, you, you'll talk about the classes you took and the and people influenced in your life, but you became disciplined to to make to see that through. And not a lot of people do that or have the ability to do that. And when you found that later in life, imagine if you had that at 23. Right, right. You know, I'd be calling you Bill Gates. <laughs> no kidding. You know, Chris, you're so right. It was all about discipline. But the thing that caused my income to go up by like 25 times in my 50s versus my 30s and 40s was I learned how to work smarter, not harder. Because, hey, you know, I worked harder than all my friends, but that was not the separator. The thing that changed everything was understanding how the human mind works, understanding that 95% of a person's daily actions are unconscious and then grasping how to gain control of those unconscious daily actions. And the result was exactly what you're talking about, greatly enhanced discipline and focus. Well, you know, it's interesting. I look at it, and I see that the coaches, and that's, this is why it's, it's so appropriate for the, the athletic uh, program to embrace making their athletes successful in the real world, is that the coaches are teaching them exactly the things I want to teach them. You know, they're teaching them leadership of self and having that attitude that I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. And they're teaching them, you know, personal responsibility and accepting uh, responsibility for their results. Well, you know, most kids 
are not taught those things. And ideally, they would be by their parents, but the reality is they are not. And, and that's the beauty of what I'm going to teach our athletes. Take what the coaches have already laid the foundation. They've done the hard work, and I'm just going to refine it a bit. But, you know, that's, that's all it is, is leadership of self and personal responsibility, I think. But you're translating what goes on, the teachings on the playing field, into a classroom setting. Right. Now, our coaches are teachers. Yeah, absolutely. They're teaching discipline. They're teaching motivation. They're teaching how to be successful as a team. Mm -hmm. I would hire any of our student athletes any day, all the time. Because the lessons they've learned, if they learn how to translate it through. And sometimes that's just maturity. And it just takes a little while. It's like when I was a student, when I was 21, 22, 23 years old, I was nowhere near uh, disciplined and focused I am today. But along the way, I always hearken back to my, I can hear my coach voice in my head all the time this is what you need to do or here's the teaching that you taught and those are things that um you always see boy that guy's really mature he's just his his mental ability to capture and move is just earlier i think everyone's on a different continuum in life um and and uh that's the beautiful thing about this journey right right so as we wrap this up um Tell us a little about work-life balance for you. What, what do you do for fun, and, and how do you create that balance? <laughs> well, I'm not a good person to talk about that at all. <laughs> uh, uh, because I think I think with 18, with 21 sports, uh, I don't miss a home match for any of our for any of our uh, student athletes. If I'm in town, I try to go to all the games. That to me is where I'm not dealing, you know, then you have work, you have issues you're trying to deal with with on campus. So usually if it's not uh, a Sunday where I just completely decompress, I walk or I read, the reality is we have, my wife's like, how about us? I'm like, yeah, we got that. <laughs> so I, I'm not a good, good, good lesson on work-life balance because you're going from one sport to the next, one situation to the next. But uh, I think that uh, my kids and uh, my involvement with them, and my wife trying to find time here and there is where we try to make it uh, balance out. Right, right. So, so you believe in it in theory? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I mean, some people say, "Boy, you got to go on this great vacation," and you think about it. Yeah, you could, but there's always something that happens. So, what you try to do is just make sure that Sundays are your day, unless I got a soccer match or a women's basketball game or a basketball. You know, no football on Sundays, but try to make Sunday just the day that you just kind of like. Uh, do nothing. Right, right, right. Well, that sounds good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. This, this has been uh, really enlightening, and so I uh, really appreciate it. Appreciate you, my friend. Have a great day. Boy, coaches, that was so enlightening. I hope you found it interesting and beneficial to you. So let me share with you three ideas that came from this interview to really think about. So here's the first one. It's all about listening. CDC realizes his job is truly all about listening, and that's his message to his coaches as well. Seek to understand before trying to be understood. That happens to be one of the seven habits of highly effective people, but it's a foundational principle for CDC. And while it's not always easy to do, in fact, it goes against human nature, it's critical to do in order to have success. 
this was a great reminder by Chris that we often forget. And here's the second takeaway. Success comes from discipline and focus. Anyone that has had success ultimately has had it because of discipline. CDC just read Ryan Holiday's book, Discipline is the Destiny. It's all about focusing on the process and having discipline, shutting out the noise. A great example is Kobe Bryant. He was great because he was like maniacal about the process. If his team had a two-hour practice, Kobe would practice two hours before the practice and probably two hours after the practice, totally focused on the process of being great and shutting out the noise. End result, he was great. Greatness comes from discipline. And here's the third takeaway. Mindset is reflected in each coach's culture. We hear a lot about mindset today. Coaches instill the proper mindset in their players by the culture they create in their program. Today, players are so distracted, it's easy not to focus on the process. So it's the coach's job to explain why the process creates greatness and the importance of discipline. The repeating of the same message consistently is what influences the players. Interestingly, CDC influences his daily mindset each morning by reading a Bible verse. Been doing it for over a year. Additionally, he's constantly journaling. In evaluating his coaches, he judges their mindset by watching them closely during timeouts. The players feed off the coach's mindset and demeanor. CDC says it's so cool to watch during timeouts, coaches taking control of their players' mindset. And here's the action step this week. And this one's simple. Listen. CDC is really tuned in to doing this with intention and purpose. And hearing him talk about it is really a wake-up call for all of us, right? In his job as AD, he's got an agenda, and it's his job to convey it to other people. But the beauty of CDC is he's truly focused on listening. As he says, seek to understand before trying to be understood. The simplicity of this message is powerful. Well, until next time, hook them.